You know, video game movies, we joke around here, there are several truths in life that, that are inescapable and immutable. Death, taxes, and video game movies suck. We fortunately in the last number of years have started to see a little bit of a transition in that. We've started to see some video game movies start to show a little bit more promise. One video game that a lot of people have been talking about for a long time is Metal Gear Solid. Tom Hardy actually at one point, I believe, was connected to play it. That kind of fell away a while ago. But now we do know who's going to play Solid Snake. And it's going to be Oscar Isaac is going to be Solid Snake. This is coming to us from Deadline itself, who said Oscar Isaac has signed up to do it. Now, I'm going to read a little bit from the Deadline report. Again, this just came out uh, a short time ago. And it right. Right, Sony's long-awaited Metal Gear Solid adaptation looks to have gained some major momentum as sources tell Deadline that Oscar Isaac is attached to play Solid Snake in Jordan Voight-Roberts. He's the guy who directed the most recent King Kong movie, by the way. Uh, the movie is currently in development at Sony Pictures with Voight-Roberts on board to direct. The film is based on Metal Gear Solid video game created by Hideo Kojami, Kojima, I mean, and published by Konami. The script is written by Derek Conley. Avi Arad is producing. Peter Kang is the executive overseeing the studio rob it felt like just yesterday that we were talking about oscar isaac because of course he had been cast to play probably your most anticipated upcoming character in moon knight now yeah. we hear he's going to play metal gear uh solid i mean this is now a guy who's going to have been in star wars Marvel, video game properties. If he's not careful, and if these new ones turn out to be good, he could become king of the genre actors. And anyway, Rob, you hear about this casting. What do you make of it? Well, I'm a huge Oscar Isaac fan. And, you know, I've been an Oscar Isaac fan since I saw uh, Inside Lewin Davis, the Coen Brothers film, and also A Most Violent Year. And as he's moved through his career, whether it was in Ex Machina or, you know, even as Apocalypse. <laughs> he gave it his all, man. <laughs> and I, I, I'm just a huge fan of him as an actor. I think he, he's chameleon-like. Uh, I think when he's allowed, he's given a lot of material to really chew into. I think he's a terrific actor. And I just, I love this casting. It's going to be really interesting to see him take on both, both Moon Knight, the Mark Spector, well, the roles as Moon Knight, all of them. And <laughs> now as Solid Snake, I'm a huge Metal Gear Solid fan. And uh, I think he has that look. You know, you know what's you interesting? The implied message to me, and I don't want to read too much into it because maybe it's not this at all, but when a, a piece of genre content like this is getting produced and they go out and get a guy, because again, if you don't really, I don't know that you can fully grasp just how good of an actor Oscar Isaac is uh, if you've never seen Inside Lewin Davis. And by the way, he did that one movie with Christian Bale a couple of years ago, I, um, uh, where it was the, the national genocide was going on. It was based on a true story. I, I can't remember the name of the movie right now. But if you want to see just how good of an actor, and it's it's always encouraging to me, at least there seems to be an underlying implied message that when they go out and get a guy like this, not just some big flashy, big star name, but somebody who's an actor of the caliber of an Oscar Isaac, it tells me that. Maybe they've written something that requires a certain level of acting chops to actually pull it off. And that's exciting to me. Like, I don't know. Maybe John Voight Roberts is going to put out a big st steaming pile of crap for all I know. I, I, I don't know. But it's at least to me encouraging that they feel the need to go out and get an actor like this, isn't it? Uh, you know, absolutely. And I, I, I think I love seeing projects that are talent driven. They're, they're not going after, 
you know, I think the world of of movie stars that we might have grown up in, especially like in the 80s and the 90s, you $20 million paydays for people, those days have sort of gone away. And I think now people are really going after, they realize that it's the, the, the holistic nature of whatever project you're making. Everything has to work. You can't just get a movie star and drop that person into your project right. and think, oh, it's going to be successful. It's all – you have to kind of get the gestalt of the project. You know, it all <laughs> has to be represented. And I think that's that's a, a great shift mm. in where we're at entertainment-wise. And I think it's really a, – it's a good one. I agree. So the question here is for you guys. I'm sure we'll probably get more details in the coming days. But what do you think about this? Oscar Isaac – to star in Metal Gear Solid, I, I think it's a terrific piece of news. What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. One more thing off the top before we get into our main topics today. Because it's Friday, and obviously being Friday, that means it's Mandalorian Day. Now, we're going to talk about the new episode of Mandalorian, Mandalorian the Siege. We're not going to spoil anything. We're just going to talk in some very general terms. Although there's going to be a point where we are going to get into a couple of spoilers, but I'll, I'll make sure I give you a heads up when we're about to get into some spoilers. All right, Rob, this season of Mandalorian continues to impress. And yesterday, I've been very curious to see how Robert Rodriguez, who's, of course, a friend of John Favreau's, uh, we knew that this was going to be an episode he was going to be directing. I've been very curious to see what it would look like. Would he bring and Rob, this episode had his fingerprints all over it. Like if you didn't tell anybody which directors directed which episode and then we watched all the episodes of this season so far and you had to guess which one was Robert Rodriguez's. I think nine times out of 10, we would have said the tragedy. That's the one that ended up being his. And I thought he did a terrific job with it. It definitely. And by the way, this was the first episode, Rob. Again, speaking in general terms, so no spoilers here. This was the first episode this season that broke the pattern that this season has had of Mando goes to a place. He needs something. Somebody has what he needs, but in order to get it, he has to do a little mission with them. First episode ends with them completing the mission, him getting what he needs and moves on to the next one. That has been mm. every episode so far. This has really been the first one that didn't do that. It kind of broke with that mold. And I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, you know, a character shows up, that kind of schools everybody else. We'll talk about that in a bit, but it was visceral. It was violent. It was brutal, but it was adorable all at the same time. Again, not going to say it's like my favorite episode of the series so far, but I completely loved the episode. I thought it was fantastic. What did you think about this episode of the Mandalorian, the tragedy? <clears throat> uh, well, I mean, there was so much that I enjoyed about this episode. You know, what's really interesting to me, John is, is, we're getting an episode of Star Trek and Star Wars pretty much in the same 24-hour period. And my <laughs> whole life after Star Wars came out, being a lifelong Star Trek fan, there was always people that were like, oh, I like Star Wars better than Star Trek. I always loved them both. And now, of course, I don't love each equally. They've, they're, they're, the, the franchises have been on rocky footing, sort of trading that off back and forth. But watching an episode like today's Mandalorian, I I thought to myself, in this episode's only thirty minutes long, thirty one minutes th long. Yep, short. And it's in, th in thirty one minutes, 
I got a, you know what it was like? It was like if this was a drug, if, if, if the Mandalorian was a big mountain of Tony Montana, Scarface <laughs> cocaine that you could stick your face into and snort. That's how I felt this way. If you could snort Star Wars, this is, I kind of felt like I snorted a giant jolt of pure uncut Star Wars. You know, I got everything I wanted. I've, I got manifestations of the force. I got the empire. I got, I mean, there's, I got. Don't give too much of, away. Yeah. No, all I kinds of stuff. stuff. I got all kinds of stuff and, and I got lore and I got, I got a, a very satisfying, well, you'll see. And it's it just, it, everything about it was, it, we even, I won't even, I can't, I can't say, but it was just, I, I felt, I felt like I was eight years old seeing this kind of stuff for the first time. Mm. And it, it was just, you know what it is? It's creators knowing what they're supposed to be delivering. Yeah. Like ultimately, if you're going to work within a franchise, you need to know the filmmakers aren't supposed to come in and change that franchise to suit whatever the fashion is this year. They're supposed to come in and serve the franchise. And if it's Star Wars now is 43 years old, you know, Star Trek is 54 years old. And when you come in and work within this paradigm, you can still be creative you can still create things that are yours, but you still need to honor the legacy of the franchise and why has it endured now for 43 years. And this episode was just full, chock-a-block full of classic Star Wars elements in 31 minutes. Yeah, And I, I'm just like, you know what? As a middle-aged man or as an eight-year-old, this delivered whatever I would have wanted in my life with a jolt of star Wars. My you know? one, my one critique of the episode and you and I were talking about this off air a little bit. Yeah. My one critique of the episode was that I don't know. Somebody told Robert Rodriguez, Hey, Robert Rodriguez, I don't think fans believe, you know, star Wars at all. You should probably do a lot of fan service name drops and, and lines to make sure they know that, you know, star Wars. And th for those of you who saw the episode already, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I get it. That line was said in one of the previous movies. I get it. He's connected to this other character. Oh, you got to remind us again. Okay. Oh, he's going to say it again. Okay. Like there was a little bit of that, but honestly, that's kind of a nitpick. I mean, it was, it was just, it was a visceral um, engaging, edgier seat, holy, filled with holy crap moments. You know what I'm saying? Throughout it, that was just fun to watch. It was just fun to watch. And I cannot wait for the next episode. Now, I'm going to let you guys know for the next like minute and a half, uh, we're going to talk about some spoilers. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to wave my hands when it's okay to start listening again, but you might want to mute your computer just for a second. Uh, and I'll wave my hands when the spoiler discussion is done. Okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. Rob, so no, no, like no ifs, ands or buts. Not only was he definitely Boba Fett. He had to remind us 18 times in the movie. No, I'm Boba Fett. Did I mention my dad's Django? Did I mention my dad's Django? Oh, did I mention that's my that dad's, bad. but still it was, it was, but whatever I can, I can deal with it because everything else is so good. I've, they have never done action as brutal. Like I remember Anne was even saying oh, dude. as he was like destroying their skulls, like, and they, the armor would shatter. And I remember Anne pointed out, she goes, 
We've never seen their armor do that before. It's like he was shattering their armor. And like somebody wrote to me on Twitter as a joke. They said, Mandalorian, chapter 15, John Wick. <laughs> and that was basically what it was. And I joked on my Twitter this morning. I said, you know, I, first of all, everybody knows who've watched me for a long period of time. I don't even really care. I have not been interested in seeing Boba Fett really come back. You know, again, it's shrinking the universe. The next star of the week, blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't want a Boba Fett standalone movie. Not interested. I like Boba Fett, but I've been not interested in having him back or seeing all this kind of stuff. But after last night, and I put this on my Twitter, I said, Star Wars fans, man, Cobb and Bo-Katan and Ahsoka are so badass. Boba Fett, hold my beer, children. <laughs> you know, because that was, it was just like, he was John Wick. It was awesome. Any quick, quick thoughts that can, that can include a spoiler or two. Well, I, you know, I'm a spaceship fetishist. I love my spaceships. And I clearly know what the title of the episode, The Tragedy, meant. And yes. it had nothing to do with the child, let me tell you. And I, I just, I was like, no! Like, I literally yelped. I'm like, no! How can, no! Talk about a bolt from the heavens. Oh, my God. Was, that was like, I couldn't believe it. I gasped uh, when that happened. Dude, I gasped. How about, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm like, no! But I'll tell you this. It's certainly the idea that they have a Boba Fett show in production. Oh, just became a lot more exciting, didn't it? Now, now I'm like, oh, now I see why, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it clearly, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Robert Rodriguez directing all the episodes of that show. Uh, look, it, 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 it didn't bother me that he's remember, not everybody is the diehard Star Wars fans that we all are. So it doesn't matter. It, it didn't matter to me that that there was that he has to remind everybody about his lineage because he wasn't wearing the armor at first. So it, 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 you but know, he had to remind us three times, Django. Did I, did, by the way, did I mention my dad's Django? Yeah, but by it's way, like, I don't you know, know if you heard me the first time, but my dad, Django. Although they did give a really neat piece of lore that Django, it yes. settles because everybody's always said that, you know, he's not Mandalorian. Jang, uh, Django himself was now a foundling. They've now made that canon. Yes. And they made, and, and that's one of the things that I really like, you know, because they think about this stuff. The, 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 when they add something to the official canonical Star Wars lore, you know, Filoni and, and, and Favreau, and Favreau's written the entire – I think he's written the entire season, hasn't he? He may, may have, yeah. And and it, I feel like when I'm watching this, at least I know that there's people that care about lore. And I love that. I'm like, that's what I, that's what I want from my genre fiction. If you're working in a franchise, expand the lore. Yeah, again, I, I thought the episode was fantastic. Okay, going to give you the wave. It's safe. Come on back. You can come back now. Uh, spoilers done. But again, listen, we're going to go much more deeper into spoiler discussion. Again, every Friday, of course, we do our open Mandalorian spoiler discussion. That's going to happen at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today. So if you want a lot more in-depth open spoiler discussion, come on back to the channel at 4 p.m. Uh, later today. Guys, what did you think about this episode of The Mandalorian? We liked it an awful lot. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campion Show? It's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic or story that you think should be a main topic here on the show, just go over it anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit and then maybe just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show.
with that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Daniela J. And Daniela J writes, Hey, John. Hello, Daniela. It has been a crazy news day, but what has me most excited is all the Hawkeye casting news as revealed by Variety. Not only have we confirmed that Haley Steinfeld, which we are we expected and is very exciting, but Florence Pugh, who's going to be in the upcoming Black Widow uh, movie and Vera Fermia, which is one of the most exciting pieces of this casting stuff. I know this wasn't at the top of your list, but do these additions up your excitement for this Hawkeye solo project? They certainly have mine. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Okay, Daniela, thank you so much for sending that in. And yeah, listen, to to be clear, what Daniela is saying is absolutely 100% true. I have not been super excited about a Hawkeye project. I there are two characters in particular in the Marvel in the MCU, Hawkeye and Black Widow. I love both of these characters. I think they're played great. I think they have a really solid place in the MCU and I love their contr- contributions to the MCU. I've just never been interested in their own solo projects to be honest with you. Not really sure why, just not really all that interested. But now the casting news for Hawkeye has kind of been rounded out. Has it made it now one of my more anticipated shows? No, but it is great casting. Uh, some of the highlight names here that we have, obviously Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld, those are the two marquee leads, but Vera for me, Rob, this Academy Award nominated actress, a woman who is just absolute money in everything she does. I defy anybody to find me a movie or whatever that she has been in that she hasn't killed it. Not always a great movie, but she kills it every single time. That's one of the most excited, exciting names to me. Florence Pugh obviously showing a Black Widow crossover element. Uh, so because Florence Pugh is going to be in the Black Widow movie. Now we also know she's going to be in Hawkeye. Tony Dalton is going to be appearing in this, which got a lot of people excited. He's, of course, in Better Call Saul. And I always I want to make sure I pronounce his last name right. Zan McLaren, I believe, is how you pronounce it. But anyway, loved him in Doctor Sleep. I loved there. Uh, Doctor Sleep was one of the more underrated and underappreciated movies of the past couple of years to me. Agreed. But he, he was absolutely great in that. And so you got a really nice, solid cast put together here. Does this make Hawkeye one of my more anticipated MCU projects now? Honestly, still no, but it has increased my awareness of it. It has made me a little bit more. Uh, it's raised my anticipation level a little bit. I got to say. And obviously, Jeremy Renner, to me, is always money. I've become really impressed with Haley Steinfeld over the last couple of years. Depending on which lore they go with here, Rob, in terms of like which ba- – are they going to take a specific Hawkeye story from the comics? Are they going to amalgamate several different storylines, tying them into one? Is it going to be something completely new? We've heard various different rumors. Nothing really confirmed at this point. But I got to tell you, Rob, right now, I mean, I love the casting. This looks like I a good, too. solid cast. What are your thoughts on this once you heard about it? Look, I, I mean, this show, it, it's so funny because when we see Marvel announce something new and they, they add a cast, we always get excited about like, look what they've done, as if it's surprising. <laughs> but I think Marvel's track record over the last decade, it's been pretty good. And they, <laughs> they, 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 show, uh, they show no signs of uh, letting, uh, letting up or letting us down. They're always bringing, they're, they're bringing their A game all the time. And they certainly have, I mean, I just wish... I guess WandaVision, we're going to get WandaVision a little over a month here, and we'll see what their first streaming service uh, show is going to give to us. And I'm really excited. I look at this and I think, again, 
the people behind these franchises are really thinking about what they're doing. And I think that that that's that alone makes me excited. You know, you raise a, a great point about all this is that here we are and I, I am as guilty as this, maybe more so than anybody getting all excited and pumped about all the Falcon and Winter Soldier and everything else yeah. is coming out on Disney Plus. The reality is, as of right now, we have not got any sample size as to really what that's going to be like. And I think you hit it right on the head when you said that we've got, you know, we've got WandaVision coming up, mm. which I think is going to be our litmus test. I, I think this is going to be the first one out of the gate that will kind of tell us what is the approach they're taking with these shows? What kind of how tonally is it going to be different from what their feature films have been? How seriously are they taking them with what kind of quality is Kevin Feige giving them the exact same kind of quality oversight that he's given to the individual movies, all that kind of stuff. And when we see it, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird to say it this way, Rob, but when we see WandaVision, I think that's going to have a lot to do with now how excited we get for something like Hawkeye and these new castings, right? Because right. if they do WandaVision and they just kick ass with it and they knock it out of the park, all of a sudden, all of our excitement levels about Hawkeye, but also all the other ones as well, is going to go up several notches because of how good yep. that one. If WandaVision is bad, and I'm not saying it will be, I'm just saying is if it's bad, it may make us worried about all the other ones. But I, I think that was a really good observation. I, I think a lot will have to do with how WandaVision's received. Mm. So we'll go from there. Question is, guys, what do you think about this Hawkeye casting? I think it's really solid. They are filming now. The The production is underway. Do you like this cast? Or is, or is there any particular weak links in it? I think it looks pretty solid overall. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to kind of our big topic today. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Troy S. And Troy S. writes, John, I'm sure you've seen by now that HBO Max has decided to release. Well, it's not really HBO Max, but it's Warner Brothers, same company. That Warner Brothers and HBO Max has decided to release the bulk of its blockbuster movies next year in theaters and on HBO Max on the same day. Not the bulk. I believe it's all of them. I believe it's like 17 movies. I think that's what I heard. It's going to yep. be 17 movies, uh, all in theaters and on HBO Max on the same day. Not only Wonder Woman 84, but also uh, movies like Dune, The Suicide Squad, Matrix 4 will all be released for streaming, bypassing the theatrical window. Do you believe this is the proverbial nail in the coffin for the theaters? And why do you think the new Batman wasn't on the list Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And first, let's address the Batman one just for a second. The Batman one is actually fairly simple. Batman isn't until 2022, right? So don't forget that. Batman is not supposed to come out until 2022. So that takes care of the Batman situation. For those of you who haven't been keeping up to date on the story, this comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write, Warner Brothers plans to release in 2021, uh, but Warner Brothers plans to release in 2021 will be available to HBO Max subscribers for 31 days. So this is going to put all their movies that are planned for 2021 out on HBO Max on the same day that they're released in theaters. We'll get to that part in a second, but it's non-consequential, but we'll get to that in a second. They're going to put it out on HBO Max for HBO Max subscribers for 31 days. 
After the one month mark, those movies will only play in theaters until they reach their traditional home entertainment frame. So they'll kind of respect the theatrical window afterwards which doesn't really mean much, to be honest. From there, people can rent through online platforms like Amazon, iTunes, or Fandango. It's unclear when the titles will return to HBO Max, which, of course, they will at some point. Warner Media Chair and CEO Ann Sarnoff referred to the model as a unique one-year plan, to which we all collectively say, <coughs> bullshit. Um, anyway, a unique one-year plan. Executives at the company have stressed the initiative isn't expected to continue into 2022 or beyond. <coughs> bullshit. Um, it's considered a temporary solution in response to the ongoing global crisis. Rob, when we saw um, AMC make their deal with Universal to shorten theatrical windows, we said, well, that is a major shift. When Disney Plus and Disney decided to put Artemis Fowl bypass theaters and put it strictly onto Disney Plus, we said, well, that's a bit of a landmark. When Disney, we later found out, was going to be taking movies like Cruella and Pinocchio and, and, and a couple of others that were destined for the theater, well, that's a turning point. When Disney, still on Disney, decided to announce that Soul, their next Pixar film, was going to be transitioning instead of theatrically directly to Disney Plus, we said, well, that's a turning point. And they all have been. But there has not been, up until this moment, as definitive of a death knell for movie theaters and the changing of the paradigm than this one. I mean, for HBO to come out and for Warner Brothers to come out right now and say, all, not just the next movie, not just the next two movies, not just the next three movies. They're all going to come to HBO Max. Six months ago, Rob, I would have said, and I believe I probably did say, to be fair, that this sort of a thing would be impossible. Maybe seven months ago, that this sort of thing would be impossible. But as we repeatedly have said on this show over the past seven months or so, is that every week that passes and this whole the, the pandemic thing and the lockdown thing and everything has evolved week to week. We've been saying as more time goes on, more things that were at one point improbable become probable. <laughs> and then the longer it goes on, the things that were considered impossible become possible. And the longer and longer this is stretched on the more and more we have all seen the writing on the wall. Bob Chapek, CEO of Disney, said specifically that what the pandemic has done has drastically accelerated their plans. This is probably something that Disney and probably Warner Brothers wasn't going to really get to for a number of years. This whole stuff that we're seeing now was probably still years away. But as Bob Chapek said, all this stuff, the pandemic, the theater shutting down, all it has accelerated their shift. All right, let's talk about a couple of things here. The first thing I want to talk about is as, as we jump over to the campaign classroom just for a second, why I've had a number of people writing to me, why is Warner Brothers going to be putting this on HBO Max and why just for 31 days? And let's talk about why the third one. I'm going to give you just the quick like two minute version here of the 45 minute breakdown we did for this uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about why is Disney Plus 
you know, why is everything moving to Disney Plus? Why is Disney going all in on Disney Plus? Let's just break that down again here for a second. Keep these numbers in mind. These are important. When you look at something like Netflix, by the way, these numbers are taken from their publicly released because Netflix is a publicly traded company. Their financials are public. That's where these things were taken from. In 2019, Netflix had 193 million subscribers globally. That number has gone up. That number has gone up, but, but we're just going to deal with the 2019 numbers right now. Netflix had 193 million subscribers globally, which equated to $23.81 billion in revenue. $28.8 or $23.81 billion in revenue. Then you look at their costs. They spent $14.7 billion in licensing fees for non-original content. $14.7 billion, Rob, for licensing fees for non-original content. They spent $10 billion in original productions, and they spent $4 billion in sales, general, and administrative, so basically operating costs. In other words, they made $24 billion, rounding up from 23.81. They made $24 billion, but they spent $29 billion. So even with 193 million subscribers worldwide, they were 5 billion in the hole for that year. That's why Netflix right now is overall about $15 billion in debt. They'll be fine. They make a lot of revenue. Their plan long-term is to increase revenue and decrease costs. They'll be fine, but that's the numbers. When you look about why this model is so attractive to somebody like Disney, look at the Disney model, right? It is being projected by the end of 2023 that Disney Plus is going to have 200 million subscribers. So roughly the same amount of subscribers that Netflix had at the end of 2019, right? Keep that in mind. Roughly the same number as Netflix. By the end of 2023, they're going to have 200 million subscribers at a cheaper monthly cost. It'll probably be, be up around $10, $11, or $12 by the time 2023 comes around. That means they're going to have $24 billion in revenue, roughly the same as Netflix did in 2019, right? But here's the big difference. Disney is going to have zero licensing fees, whereas Netflix in 2019 had to pay $14.7 billion in licensing fees. Disney is going to pay none because Disney owns everything on their streaming platform. How does this all tie into the HBO Max thing? We'll get to that, but keep these, these it's important to have these numbers in mind. So they're going to spend roughly the same amount Netflix did, $10 billion in original things. They're going to spend a little bit more in operating costs at $7 billion instead of 4 But look at this final number. Even though Disney Plus is going to have roughly the same amount of subscribers at a cheaper price where Netflix was $5 billion in the hole, Disney Plus is going to make $7 billion in profit. To understand how big of a number that is, Rob, in 2019, all of Disney's corporations, parks, experiences, licensing, merchandising, movies, television, everything combined, Disney made $11 billion in profit. We're in a position and in a model now where Disney Plus by itself could generate $7 billion in profit all by itself. And that's with conservative estimates. <laughs> that's with one show. And, yeah, and that's that's with Mandalorian. That's the type of projections they have, right? Wait till wait till the the MCU shows start to hit. Wait, wait till everything starts to go. So why so then how does this all tie into HBO Max? Well, HBO Max is in a similar, not identical, 
but in a similar place. Warner Brothers and HBO Max is in a similar place and position as Disney with Disney Plus is, right? They have been transitioning very subtly the last couple of years to really mostly carrying their own content that they own. There there is licensed content on there. There is. But they are moving away from that. They've been slowly but surely moving away from licensed content. And they see the writing on the wall. Now, they're about, I think, about half the number of subscribers that uh, Disney Plus has right now. But they're looking at this. And Rob, right now, Warner Brothers is seeing Disney accelerate their plans and extending that lead. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, HBO and HBO Max combined have about 35 to 40 million subscribers as compared to Disney that in just one year had has 73 million subscribers. They're falling behind. And they're seeing Disney Plus now putting things like Soul, uh, now we know Pinocchio and Cruella. And I still believe, I don't know for a fact, but I still believe that on December 10th, they will announce that Black Widow is being moved over to Disney Plus. Oh, I, I still believe that. Again, I don't know that it's, I don't know that that's true. It's what I believe will happen. So Warner Brothers is in this position of seeing, we see the writing on the wall. We know what these numbers are. So we're going to put the pedal to the metal and try to get in a competitive advantage over something like Disney. So then it raises the question about why is Disney or why is Warner Brothers and HBO only going to put their movies for a 30-day window? Why only a 30-day window? Why when they launch Wonder Woman 84, is it going to be only for 30 days? Why once they put Dune on HBO Max, is it only for 30 days to start? The reason is a classic, tried and tested, old as song itself, artificial urgency. It's the same thing of like uh, while supplies last or um, uh, for a limited time. What, what these sorts of marketing, this kind of marketing lingo does is it creates in the potential consumer a artificial sense of urgency because, you know, you hear, oh, all these things are going to HBO Max. And you might think if you're not a customer already, you might think, oh, OK, it's oh, at some point I'm going to get HBO Max then. Someday I'm going to get that if all this good stuff's going to be on there. What they are doing is creating an artificial sense of urgency. It's like, hey, hey, better sign up. We've got this movie coming out. And here's where the idea is actually brilliant. They get to do that with Wonder Woman 84. Limited time only, everybody. All you got to do is sign up for HBO Max and you get to watch Wonder Woman 84. And they're going to have a certain degree of success with that. How big or how small success, we'll find out. But they're going to have a certain degree of success with it. But then they get to do it again, Rob. When, when when Dune comes out, I can't remember the release date, they're going to get to do this all again, artificially urgent, while supplies last, limited time, everybody, for 30 days you can watch this. And so they'll have a, a certain amount of success with that. And then they'll get to do that same success again with Suicide Squad. And then they'll get to do that same thing with Matrix. And then they'll get to do the same thing with that Denzel Washington movie they've got coming out this year. And then they'll get to do it 14 more times in the same year. Create a sense of artificial urgency while supplies last, limited time, everybody sign up. And here's the other bit of brilliance about this, Rob, where there's a lot of people that are becoming wave riding subscribers where it's like, okay, I'll subscribe to Disney Plus while Mandalorian is on. And then once Mandalorian's done, I'll unsubscribe by doing this. I got to give credit where it's due, man. HBO Max is doing something brilliant. By doing this with, I believe it's 17 titles over the course of 2021, there's no point in unsubscribing. So people go, okay, I'll, I'll sign up for Wonder Woman. 
I was thinking about it, I was subscribing, but you know, in, in about three or four weeks, they've got this other movie coming out. And then that one comes out. And they're like, well, I was going to subscribe, but in a couple weeks, James Gunn's Suicide Squad comes out, right? It is actually brilliant. Will it be enough to get them up to 73 million subscribers by the end of 2021 like Disney has now? I don't know if it'll give them that big of a boost, but it's certainly attractive. And then they still get to say we're supporting the movie theaters, but who's going to go to the movie theaters to watch it when they can just watch it in HBO Max? Some people, obviously, but the same number, obviously not. And they'll still be able to get some rental fees from people who don't sign up for it. But Rob, even then... Once Wonder Woman has done its done its its 30-day run on HBO Max, then it becomes available for renters. Now people are going to rent, they're going to be people who want Wonder Woman 84, and then they're going to rent it for seven or eight bucks. And I think, you know what? For almost the same price, I could have just got HBO Max, period, and I can get all these movies. That it's in and of itself is going to become incentivizing for people to go over and just sign up for HBO Max. I gotta tell you, it is a bold, it is forward thinking, it is the strategy is well thought out. This is a very good move on their part. The one bit of bullshit is this is a unique one-year plan. This is a unique one-year plan. And I'll say this, Rob. There's no way this is a one-year plan. They're going to do this. If they add 20 million new subscribers this year, think about how long HBO has been around. If they add 20 to 30 new subscribers this year, there's no way they're changing that plan. The only way it's a one-year plan is if they get through 2021 and they've added 6 million more subscribers. If that, if, if, if they totally fall on their face and this backfires and it doesn't make them money, then sure. But I am telling you, Rob, th this, is, this is the final nail in the coffin. Movie theaters are dead. They'll always be around to some degree serving a certain demographic and they're going to have their niche audiences and they'll always be around. But this is it. And now it's going to be a domino effect. Disney Plus did something that made HBO Max react. Now HBO Max has reacted and now we're going to hear December 10th. I'm telling you, we're going to hear some major, major stuff coming out of Disney about that's really going to all feed into this transition to Disney Plus. Rob, this is, you, you can't overstate it. This well, news is titanic. You saw it. You heard it. What's your breakdown of all this? Well, there's something, too. I mean, a very astute breakdown you made, but there's something I wanted to add to this, and that is the movie business is a very volatile business. You can spend $200 million on a movie and wind up with Catwoman. Not that Catwoman costs $200 million, but there's no guarantee that for the amount of money that you lay out, you hope it works. You take a, a big picture to market. You hope it's going to make a billion dollars, but you never know. What HBO Max is doing, what this strategy is doing, is shoring up the cash flow of the whole company because when you have a certain subscriber base, you know how much money you're making every month. And if you have a film that, say, doesn't perform as well as you might have hoped in a theater – you add it to that 17 movie group and it keeps people coming back. It's a lot more stable to know that, okay, we have 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, 50 million subscribers every month. So we know how much money is coming into the studio. And remember also, this is AT&T. You know, they've built the infrastructure that's delivering this content to your house. They're yep. building those pipelines. They're making the money. So while this is great, 
what this all really is, is AT&T wants you to rely on their infrastructure. And the more people that do, the more money they can spend expanding that infrastructure and, and, and charging people for their phones, charging people bundles and all that. So they're making money not just through HBO Max subscriptions, but through the actual boxes in your house that are delivering this stuff. So they're making – there's a whole economic ecosphere that they're feeding that is theirs, soup to nuts. And it's it's a pretty brilliant plan, but we're just looking at it from a filmmaking perspective and getting movies into the theaters. But I think from a business standpoint, this is a pretty genius move all the way around. Does it bum me out that, like you astutely put it, this is the death of movie theaters? But this was an, an, an inevitable death that I thought was going to be a slow burn process over 10 years. But it's kind of like my beloved Laserdiscs that I thought were going to stick around. When DVD hit the hit the market, Laserdiscs were dead in six months. Whether you There's, choose to believe it or not, yeah. they, were, they, were, they were gone. I mean, it took a little more than that. But you, you saw that the writing was on the wall. This strategy is better for everybody from an economic standpoint. And you know, Except for it the ain't theaters. Joe Fred's John. It's Joe, it, well, that's what I mean. But yeah. that's that's the evolution of of the world. As much as I I hope that like giant theaters will stick around, and I want to be able to go to the Cinerama Dome and see movies. You know, if that if that is not in my future, I did have this p- amount of time on the Earth enjoying uh, movies in the theater, but that time is rapidly coming to an end. And and here's the other thing, Rob. I hear some people, understandably so, will say, but John, you know, they're still going to put these movies, Matrix 4, Dune, uh, Suicide Squad, all these. They're still going to put them in theaters. Theaters will still survive. Here's here's the problem that we got to think about here. All right. Let's just use some some random numbers just to illustrate the point. Let's say to operate. uh, Let's call it operating costs. To operate your movie theater chain, again, we're just going to make up some numbers here just to illustrate a point, okay? Let's say your operating costs are $5 billion, okay? And your income is expected that year to be, I don't know, uh, $5.8 billion. Great. You've made $800 million in profit, right? Well, what happens when one of the major studios that supplies you with your product, one of the major studios that supplies you with your product, that you sell to the audience. What happens when they pull 17 of their films and say, this is going to go on HBO max first. It's going to eat away and cannibalize at the number of people that could come in. Now, all of a sudden you're looking at an income of, I don't know, 3.4 billion. Now, all of a sudden your company is losing what it would be here. 1.6 billion. Instead of making $800 million in profit in the year, yay, we're getting all this product. Now, a large chunk of your supply, a large chunk of your product has been compromised and will lose not all of its revenue generating properties for your company, but a significant chunk. So, yeah, they're still going to put these movies in theaters. It is a short-term money-losing gap, and it's going to spell doom, Rob, for these major theater chains. And look, again, like I always say, just the way records and vinyl are – record players and vinyl are still around in some way 
movie theaters will still be around, but the paradigm is completely about to change. Their, their, their prominence in the pecking order is about to drop really, really low. And this Warner Brothers thing, here's a question for you, Rob. We saw Disney move soul to Disney Plus and blah, blah, blah. Then we saw Wonder Woman get is going to go on HBO Max. Then we heard even more Disney things are going. Now that Warner Brothers has come out and said, we're putting all of our 2021 movies on HBO Max. What do you think Disney's response is going to be like? How significant could this December 10th event be? And how big of a tectonic shift could we see now from Disney in response to what Warner Brothers and HBO has done? <laughs> John, I, I, I think that, I mean, Disney, Disney Plus's subscriber base over the last year has shown how viable their streaming model can be, and that's based on one show that people like. And of course, they had one show, Ham- one show. That's all we've had, had from them is one show. You know, they had Hamilton, and they always have the family audience. But imagine when they start dropping these Marvel shows and imagine when they have a new show like this of this caliber coming every two months or every month, you know, you've got Mando three and season three and four, you've got Obi-Wan, you've got the MCU shows and oh my God. And they're releasing these shows weekly. So you're going to have overlap. You're going to have eight episodes of Mando that play over two months you're going to have eight episodes of WandaVision. Imagine when you have two shows a week of just, I mean, even if they're only half an hour each, it, it's, I, I can't even imagine where Disney could be in two or three years. 250 million subscribers? They're projecting million? 200 million by the end of 2023. 200 million, which would now, give now them $7 billion of profit. And that's conservative. That's conservative. And, and John, that's only with six bucks a month. Wait till wait till they go to 2022 and they decide that they're going to make it nine dollars a month. Oh, they you know, will. I, I, yeah, it'll it'll be yeah, some, you, sometime. They'll move it up to ten bucks this year. I think. You you think people aren't going to pay that? And I'll tell you something else. In a way, from a you, you know you have a film now playing. You've got your you've, you're now content creator. You've made a film. What this is going to do from a I think a creative perspective is I think it's going to allow the business to have more stability from an economic standpoint to make more things, more diverse things, because with this kind of money coming in, they can't just make MCU shows and The Mandalorian forever. They're going to have to, like, audiences get older. They're going to want to see other things. So they're going to have, I think, more opportunity for other creators to create new stuff because the economics are more solid than trying to do a crapshoot into the into – the, ether when you're trying to sell a studio on your original ip and they're like well we'd rather go make something that's more you know so i think in a way this could be a win-win for everybody it could be content created it could be could be. i I, I also fear it could go the other way where disney sees hey we're generating all this money every month and we don't have to make shit but we'll see but i did want to point one other thing rob about the economics when it comes to the movie theaters it was roughly around 1 to 1 30 p.m eastern standard time Oh, yeah. When that news came out, I want you to look at something here. This is the stock tracker of AMC theaters. All right. Take a look at this. Yeah. You see how it's all hovering up around four and then it hits that point. You see where it hits that point over there where all of a sudden it starts to dive. That was 
between 1 and 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when the news came out about Warner Brothers taking all their movies right to HBO Max. Look what happened at the exact same time once that announcement was made. Look at what happened to the stocks. My wife owns a bunch of AMC stock. This was not a happy morning for us as we looked at, <laughs> we looked at our AMC portfolio. Not a good morning for us. But that is just an example of where things are. It is uh, kind of crazy. Anyway, I'm I'm sure we're going to talk more about this in the live uh, questions part of the show. We're going to move on to the next part of this story. But just for now, guys, general feeling. What do you think about this whole move? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Now, let's move on to kind of part B of this whole topic here and how this whole thing has been transpiring. We take our third and final main topic today from our good friend Nellie T. And Nellie T writes... Greetings, John. Oh, the heels of the huge HBO Max news are hot on the heels of the HBO Max news. AMC theaters have put out a statement saying that they are against what Warner Brothers is doing with their movies releasing on HBO Max. Normally, I would understand why, but didn't AMC sort of get this ball rolling by making that shortened theatrical window deal with Universal? Oh, I'm glad you said that, Nelly. In the first place, isn't this kind of like starting a fire and then complaining that the city is on fire. Oh, you're not wrong, my friend. You're not wrong. So this news of HBO going to be the place where Warner Brothers is going to debut all their movies, eliminating the theatrical window going on there first, as we described a little bit earlier. Well, apparently, Rob, AMC didn't like this. Adam Aaron, the CEO of Disney, did not like this. Of course, <laughs> you wouldn't like it. I mean, if you're a movie theater, this is, this is death news. But <clears throat> this is what they said. AMC CEO Adam Aaron wrote, clearly, Warner Media intends to sacrifice a considerable portion of the of the profitability of its movie studio division and that of its production partners and filmmakers to subsidize its HBO Max startup. As for AMC, we will do all in our power to ensure that Warner does not do so at our expense. Big words. We'll talk about this in a second. Big words. We will aggressively pressure economic terms that preserve our business. Too late, Aaron. Uh, We have already commenced an immediate and urgent dialogue with the leadership of Warner Brothers on this project. All right. That, once again, is from the CEO of uh, AMC Theaters, Adam Aaron, who was, by the way, not CEO when I was at AMC. They had a brilliant CEO when I was there. Uh, Adam? Not so much. At any rate, on the one hand, obviously, this is difficult news. This is difficult news if you're AMC Theaters, if you're Regal, if you're Cinemark. This whole Warner Brothers move to HBO Max, this is difficult to listen to and difficult to swallow. There is no doubt about that. These are hard times for the movie theaters, and they are right to be alarmed, they are right to be worried, and to some degree, they're also right to be a little bit upset. This is nailing, you know, nailing shut their coffins. It's bad news. However, this coming from AMC, as opposed to Regal or Cinemark or Landmark or one of the other theater chains, is a little bit comical to me. Because as I think it was Nelly who wrote in the email and in the message, AMC just a little while ago, Rob, 
compromised the theatrical window, the one principle in place that has been saving the movie theater industry for a long time. The theatrical window is the one principle and premise that has been saving the theatrical experience for years. AMC was the movie theater chain that came out and compromised the theatrical window principle when they made that deal with Universal for a 17 to what was it? 17 to 30 something day theatrical window thing. It was AMC itself and their CEO, Adam Aaron, who has taken an incredibly successful company and has just blown it the hell up since he took it over, in my opinion. It was them that started this snowball rolling down the hill that's turning into an avalanche. Because here's why, Rob, follow me here. I said for a while, the one hope that movie theaters and the movie theater industry has to survive, the one hope they have is to, in unity, hold the line on theatrical window. If you hold the line, come hell or high water, whatever context and whatever circumstances this world and universe throws at you, or whatever the studios try to do, if you as movie theaters collectively and in unison hold the line on the theatrical window stuff, you got a chance. I'm not saying they would have prevailed, no, but you've got a chance if you do. So they have this theatrical window and the forces of nature and the studios and, and the context of our world, the waves came in and hit against that wall, but the wall held. But guess what AMC did? AMC opened the door. They put cracks in the wall when they made that deal with Universal. And once that crack in the wall was done, the wall became compromised. Water started coming in. In essence, AMC screwed the other movie theaters when they made that deal with Universal and compromised the theatrical window. And now Adam Aaron is going to sit back and cry, boo-hoo, Rob, boo-fucking-hoo. Oh, poor us. This HBO Warner Brothers thing's going to hurt us. Well, who the fuck do you think opened the door? Who do you think compromised the theatrical? Who do you think got this ball rolling? And I love what Nelly wrote in the message. It's like Adam Aaron went into town square and lit, let lit a big tree on fire and said, Oh look, I lit a tree on fire. And then three hours later is complaining. Why is this city on fire? This is unacceptable. You're as every bit of a part of this as everything else. Now, again, I'm not sitting here suggesting Rob that had all the theaters stood in unity and kept the theatrical window and kept the theatrical window stood strong, created a united front, really pushed back on the studios and everything. I'm not saying that would have worked, but it gave them a chance. And I personally find it kind of laughable that AMC is now complaining about Warner Brothers and HBO Max just going down this path that AMC laid out in the first place. That's all Warner Brothers and HBO Max is doing here, Rob. There's just like, oh, AMC kind of created this path by making that deal with Universal. We're just going to take it to its next step. We're just going to take it a little bit further. For AMC to be the one to come out and cry about, I would have a lot more sympathy if it was Regal right now kind of lamenting this. If it was Regal coming out and saying, guys, this is horrible. This is terrible for us. Well, I, I would, I would empathize with them. 
I find it laughable that AMC and listen, I still got a lot of love for AMC in my heart. I had some really fun, great growth, wonderful years that I spent working with AMC. Great place in my heart. But for them to be the ones to cry about this when they have been a perpetrator of this, what is it they used to call uh, people in wartime who kind of helped the occupiers? What was that? A collaborator. Collaborators. Yeah. AMC became a collaborator in the own demise of their own industry. So I find their objections to this just a wee bit laughable. Anyway, Rob, you're here in AMC. Talk about this. What do you think about their position right now? I think you pretty much nailed it. I mean, I, I there there was no solidarity, I think, in the, the motion picture distribution arm of all of these things. Everybody was kind of, you know, you can bitch and moan and complain. I think there's a reason why Warner Brothers announced this and kind of blindsided everybody. Like, they didn't exactly go to the theaters and say, here's what we're going to do. And there's a reason for that. You know, we, we, we've seen that there is definitely an adversarial relationship between the exhibitors and what the studios want. There is no incentive for the studios anymore to uh, – they're, 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 they're distributing their own product without a middleman anymore. And the theaters are – were, were, were middlemen that required their entire business model is built on somebody else giving them a product. And now the studios have had what they've always wanted. They couldn't own theater chains because of the Paramount decrees, which have been rescinded, but they couldn't own theaters. So now the studios have what they've always wanted, the primary method of distribution of their product directly to the consumer. They don't have to share revenue with anybody anymore. They just make their movies, they make their TV shows, and they take them. They they take the money. Why why work with the movie theater chain that gets mad at us? Yeah, you know. Uh, and, why, and, and, why and AMC it? created the environment that made it even easier for them to do it. Yeah, and listen. Yeah, and this is all coming, Rob, and I know you share a lot of this feeling too. This is me, a guy who I treasure the movie-going experience, the theatrical experience, which is the true heart of any true film fan. That is the way to watch movies. That's coming from me, a guy who I revere the movie-going experience. And I'm telling you this, that – that this is it, it was inevitable at this point. They had one shot to maybe stem the tide for a while. They screwed it up. They were they compromised everybody else. Essentially, AMC stabbed all the other movie theaters in the back when they made that deal with with Universal, in my opinion. And now Warner Brothers and HBO have just taken the next logical step. And you're right. It has kind of opened the door for them to go, oh. So, yeah, it's time for us to accelerate these plans. Let's do that transition where we just cut out the middleman. It sucks that we're going to lose the best movie watching experience there is, which is a theater experience with friends, family, strangers in a big room. We're going to lose it. But it is what it is at this point. So, yeah, I, I just don't know. Is there I don't think there's any hope for, for theaters at this point. Do you, Rob, do you see any kind of light at the end of the tubble now with this? Look, I, I mean, on one hand, as a lifelong film fan, there has never been a, uh, a never. Uh, it's my favorite experience in the world. But even me, John, when I was a kid, all of the theaters that I went to were gigantic, gigantic, huge, big box, one screen theaters. And over my lifetime, I watched multiplexes be built. I watched even living in L.A., the Avco Theater that's on Wilshire Boulevard in Westwood was one of my favorite theaters. They cut it in half. They cut it in half so they could put a second screen in there, showed more movies, make more money.
because, you know, how long can movies play, especially in the home video era? So I have watched the theater experience from the time I was a small child to now diminish. Projection was never, was always a problem. You know, presentation was slipped. Now, AMC was kind of bringing that back. They invested billions of dollars to do so. But this sea change was an inevitability. It was, it was what they worried about when home video first took over in the early 80s. They thought, oh, this is going to – this is going to represent the end of the theatrical experience. They were saying that 40 years ago. Well, it just took 40 years. Now we've got the tools. We have the technology. When you can watch media at 4K and Dolby Vision, get your own great surround sound system, Atmos, you can build a movie theater in your house for not a lot of money. It's over, man. As much as I don't want it to be, as much as I want movie theaters to be gigantic, great experiences – it is over. When was the last time you bought a magazine, John? When was the last time you bought a CD? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's... we've watched people and oh, everyone always throws to me, well, there's still vinyl. Yeah, because vinyl's cheap to make. You know, I've been buying And what vinyl. kind of market I, share does vinyl have now? I mean, it's still there. I mean, it exists. But really, what kind of market share does it have? Well, it exceeded it exceeded CD sales last year, I think, for the first time. But that's because who's buying CDs anymore? I mean, the fact is all of the media we consume is in a digital format that can now be transmitted over phone lines or over the airwaves or whatever. Now we've got satellites. Elon Musk is building. You can get Internet anywhere around the world with one of his dishes because it's it's in orbit. And the fact is we're in a we're, there's a massive sea change happening with our technology all around us, whether you choose to buy into it or not. It's it's. It's changing. And even my beloved physical media, you know, I'll be buying it for another couple of years. But even that I know is going by the wayside, John. It's just an inevitability. That's what evolution is. That's what technology does. When was the last time you were in a horse drawn carriage, John? <laughs> it's been a while. It's been, been a while. while. All right, guys, the question is, what do you think about AMC's response to all this? I, I think it is asinine i i think it is a ridiculous response coming from the wrong person uh it, again it's the person who poured the bucket onto the floor and then complained that the floor is wet uh that's kind of my take on that question is what do you guys think about it jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts all right guys with all that down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics or our main topics. Let's we're done with our main topics. Let's now move on to your live comments and questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you've got a live comment or question that you'd like to send in, simply use the tip link that's near the top of this video. That's streamelements.com slash movie blog TV slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time with that down let's get on over to your live questions guys and we're going to get things started here with aaron schroeder who writes i've been thinking episodic star wars films will continue but starting with new episode one it won't be a reboot per se but a new saga taking place in a different galaxy uh, with potential for crossover but with concepts not characters i i don't agree with that i think there will be it's not gonna be in a different galaxy per se maybe in new locations new characters new stories to tell uh certainly but it's still gonna be with there used to be an empire as its background there used to be a first order as its background like all that kind of stuff i think Think will still be in play but i don't think it'll be a massive massive shift like that that all of a sudden they're in a completely different universe and doing completely different things i don't think they'll do that i still think though we will get 
Um, we will get another episode though. Uh, Peter L writes last episode of Mandalorian revitalized my love of star Wars kind of wished Michael Bean's character didn't die. He was so good in a different series. I'd love for Ahsoka to find out, uh, from Luke that Anakin broke free of the dark side just before dying. And we saw a lot of memes of that. Like a lot of people and artists made memes about, um, the idea of Soka finding out that Vader turned back to the light side before he died. Some very, very touching stuff. And yeah, I love seeing Michael Bean, but you know, a lot of characters are going to come and go in these shows. And unfortunately that was one of the characters that came and went. Okay. Uh, MD writes, uh, the reason there are no films about the prophet Muhammad is because it's highly forbidden to show or depict an image of him in the religion of Islam. Uh, this was the leading cause of the Charlie Hebdo terrorist attack in Paris some years ago. True. Somebody asked the other day about why we see a lot of movies with Jesus as a character, but not, uh, Muhammad is a character. I think a big reason is because of there's not as big of an audience for it in North America as there is for the other, but definitely there are some cultural sensitivities as well, but I don't think that that would have gotten in studios way if they thought there was a lot of money to make, but I just don't think they believe there is a lot of money to make there. So we'll have to see how that all goes. Okay. Next up, Wilson, the volleyball writes, uh, living in California is probably advantageous to someone like you who works in entertainment, but seeing as how the California government has said that there is no green tier to return to full normal theaters and theme parks, etc., even after the vaccine, would you leave California? No, probably not. At least not anytime soon. I mean, I will go back to, uh, uh, to Canada at some point. I definitely will. But you know, Rob, we're hearing about these, I believe things will go back to once the vaccine starts coming out. I don't care what they're saying right now. Once the vaccine starts coming out and we start seeing an impact, which will probably be around midsummer. Um, I think it's fine. My light. Listen, yes, I can't go to uh, Disneyland right now and I can't go to universal studios, but if I move back to Canada right now, I still couldn't go to Disneyland and I still couldn't go to universal studios. So it doesn't change much. But Rob, how fast do you see a return to normal at this point? Like, let's say the vaccine does start getting distributed by year's end, like they're saying. What do you think is a really good target point to say, we'll start to see normalcy again? Not 100% there, but we'll start to see it by about this point. What do you think that, that point will be? Well, first of all, I read yesterday that Pfizer, because of the actual raw materials they need to create the vaccine, uh, they might even have only half of what they projected to be available. And they've shown that the first people that are going to receive the vaccine are those on the front lines. So until the gen pop starts getting this vaccine, it's going to be a while. And dude, California is in the grip. We're, we have more, we're worse off now than we've ever been. More deaths, more cases being diagnosed. Our hospital beds are full up. Um, I don't see this returning anytime. We're not going to have, you know what? I, I would imagine most of 2021 is going to be a wash as well. We should expect to be home for six months or another year. You really, you think it's going to be? You think it's going to be that long? Because I've heard even in the UK they're going to they've they've already approved distribution in the UK. So you really think it's going to be like that long, like the rest of the year? Well, I mean, just looking at at how much it's it's not so much that it, it's how much of the vaccine is available, you know, and and who's getting it, and how long is it going to take, and we don't even know en masse. They, they're saying, yes, it has 95% or 94% effectiveness, but they've not tested it in the field. So it's going to be really interesting once millions and millions and millions of people are getting the uh, vaccine, how is that going to work with everybody? So there's, I think there's a lot of unknowns, and I would rather err on the side of caution. 
All right, let's keep moving on here. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Mischievous Gremlin writes, uh, just to let you know, we still have three episodes left for Mandalorian. The Jedi was episode five of season two. I really don't expect to see another Jedi. Of course, this was written before last night's episode. Uh, I really don't expect to see another Jedi until season three, to be honest. Don't forget, Boba Fett is still looking to get his armor back. Uh, again, once again, remember, this was sent in prior to last night or this morning's episode of, of, uh, of Mandalorian. So keep that in mind. Um, not to mention... Mando also has to deal with Moff Gideon. I really don't expect Grogu to be put, that's baby Yoda, uh, to be put on the spot in the, t- in the temple till the end of the season. Now maybe they can show some, uh, somebody sensing Grogu as the cliffhanger, but that's about it. Again, and I, I unfortunately, Mischievous Gremlin, I can't really comment on anything you're saying because I don't want to give anything away of what happened in this morning or last night's episode for people who still haven't seen it. But again, for anybody who's interested, we will be doing a sport, an open spoiler live stream today at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're interested in participating in that and sharing your thoughts and ideas too, make sure you come back and join us for that. So thanks for sending that in, Mischievous. All right, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, I love that username. Uh, do you get the vibes of Baby Yoda being in a location where wise men and women see a sign in the heavens and come from far and wide? Sound familiar? Note the three arriving all at once never makes sense. Um, again, unfortunately, because this question came in prior to that episode, I feel like Garden Variety Vagabond, I can't really address it. Um, because again, I, I run the risk of, let's just put it this way. Your comment is very good. Let's just say that your comment is very good, but I, I can't run the risk of kind of commenting on it much more than that because I don't want to give anything away, but it's an excellent, excellent question to write in. All right. Willow writes, when did the Oscars become your second favorite day of the year? And do you have uh, any traditions in celebrating the day? It became my second favorite day of the year a long time ago, a long, long, long time ago. Um, as long as I can remember, the Oscars have been my second favorite day of the year. And absolutely, we always get together with friends. We always throw some kind of viewing party. Uh, Anne will make up themed foods. Like she'll make up desserts or little appetizers made to theme of best picture nominated movies. Um, uh, so and like, for instance, the one year that uh, Winter's Bone was nominated and made these Winter's Boneless Wings. You know, she, she, she would just do that every year, right? So that's kind of a big thing to me, Willow. Uh, next up, the Black Knight writes, one of two, going back to the classic PP, I have no idea what that is, uh, struggling as a photographer, elements removed, Cavill's Clark has more balls than I have seen from any other version. Dean Cain's had some confidence, but the way Cavill took on Perry over the bat story had real steel. Uh, getting changed in the phone booth disappeared. Uh, as time goes by, it seems more classic elements are disappearing. Is this the only way that they can keep superheroes in the modern day? Was Reeves uh, and Ralph the uh, the only bumbling Clark? Well, Rob, I don't know that bumbling Clark <laughs> is anything to do with the changing times. Um, like things like Peter Parker being a photographer for the Daily Planet. Yeah, that that changes with the times. Um, phone booths that Superman would duck into can't really do that anymore. So, but but character things uh, like that, I I don't. And, and you know, Rob, when you go to some of the earlier, you know, the earlier comics, action comics, or whatever of Superman, Clark really isn't 
very often portrayed, there are different portrayals of Clark Kent over the years, just like there are kind of different portrayals of Superman himself. But it's it, the bumbling nature of Clark Kent hasn't actually been all that prevalent. When, a lot of the older comics, when you read him, he's just, he's, he's a reporter. You know, he's not this bumbling Clark that kind of Christopher Reeve sort of decided for him to portray. I don't know. What do you think about that overall? Well, if you watched, I, I grew up watching The Adventures of Superman, the 50s show with George Reeves, and not Christopher Reeve, but George Reeves playing Superman. And his Clark Kent was a badass. You know, he was still like, he was the best reporter there. And, and, and it was, it, it is, it definitely was changing with the times. I think that part of the, the genius of making Clark more of a, a bumbling Clark is they tried to give more of a dichotomy between Clark Kent and Superman because on screen, when you're watching it on movie, a movie screen, it would be hard to believe that nobody recognized if Clark Kent was like a, uh, a very strong, badass reporter, people would be like, oh, no, no, you're Superman too, right? Oh, yes, I am. But if he's bumbling, oh, hello, Lois, no one's going to believe that a bumbling Clark Kent is actually Superman. So I think the the reason from a visual standpoint and a character standpoint, the reason they went that direction is because it's far easier to make an audience believe that just by putting on glasses, you might not know you might not know he's Superman because, you know, he hunches over and he becomes a whole different human being. And, and, and it works on screen in the movie screen when he's up, you know, widescreen that you would believe Bumbling Clark is not Superman. And I think that's why they did it that way. Right. I like that. All right. James Germain writes, hey, John, first movie I cried at was Armageddon. Don't want to close my eyes. Uh, I was an eight year old. Ever since then, I've been solid as a rock for 14 years until Les Miserables. And I crumbled into dust just like that. I love Les Mis, man. I love to this day, even more than Hamilton. Les Mis is still my favorite live uh, uh, live uh, show to go see the movie versions. I love uh, I crumble into dust after that. Like it's I'm a baby, especially at Hacksaw Ridge. Another great, great movie. Uh, what was your first what was the first movie? I, I've only ever like cried in like like less than one hand. I could count on one hand. The the honestly the first movie I think I remember actually crying at was and I've talked about it a lot, Rob. It's probably best of the best. The Eric Roberts <laughs> James Earl Jones. I'm sorry, but when Tommy limps across that aisle and puts the gold medal on Day Han, or Day Han limps across and puts the, the medal on Tommy and says, I regret the loss of your brother and I offer myself as your new brother. <laughs> Man tears. That's honestly the first movie I remember crying at. What about you? You got a movie you remember crying at the first time? Oh, yes. <laughs> the first movie I ever cried in, John, was on June 4th, 1982. I was in the John Dance Theater. And I'll tell you exactly when I cried. It was a specific moment. And here it is. Of all the souls I've encountered <laughs> in my travels. It is. His was the most human Human. That was it, man. I lost it. <laughs> Tears streaming down my face. Nothing I could do. I mean, my 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 uh, shirt was soaking wet. And by the way, I saw that particular film four times in one day. Wow! All the showings that day, and I cried every time. Star Trek doing fake deaths even before the MCU it wasn't uh, fake. It happened. <laughs> he was just back in the next movie. That's all. No big deal. All right. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes, but that is a great scene. Um, just when they're sitting there 
across the glass from each other and they're talking about the needs of the few and uh, anyway good scene ryan loner writes i distinctly remember when the 90s mickey mouse club started when i was a kid and getting very excited about ryan gosling because it was the first time i'd ever seen someone else with my name (laughs) with my name so it's been pretty fun to see his career develop you know we've all get our certain attachments to certain celebrities for certain reasons right i mean obviously i'm really big on any good canadian kid right whether it's ryan reynolds or Elliot Page, or Ryan Gosling, or you name it. If it's a good Canadian kid, I'm on board with it. And what maybe it's somebody like me, I can't get too excited with somebody with the name John. It's just too common, uh, which is why sometimes I go by my actual name, which is Giovanni. But but whatever reason it is, Ryan, we love, the, we love him for whatever reasons. All right, Black Knight writes, uh, one of two, do you think there was a line, and if so, where, when actors can play the same character in two universes, both uh, M in Bond and JJ and MCU uh, would be considered as supporting roles, but would it be too far to take a lead? Arrow, Supergirl, Daredevil, Kingpin have all been mentioned. Is there any you would take? Uh, and is there any you think Feige uh, would consider from the MCU, uh, from Fox or Netflix? I don't think there's any Kevin would take. No, I, I honestly don't think Kevin Feige would take any of them from from uh, Netflix or from the MC or, or from Fox. I just Kevin Feige doesn't like to play in other kids sandboxes. He likes to build his own sandbox. That doesn't mean it's an impossibility, but I just don't see it happening. Uh, Particularly, there's there's also some legal issues when it comes with the Netflix thing. Like, it's one thing for, like, I think, did Sony make Ghost Rider? I think Sony made Ghost Rider. It's one thing for Sony to do Ghost Rider, and then if they want to reboot Ghost Rider, it's still all their own thing, right? Uh, By the way, it was kind of done. Ghost Rider 2 is kind of, it is actually kind of a reboot but they decided to use and i remember my friends mark nevelteen and uh, brian taylor they got the gig to do um ghost rider 2 spirit of vengeance and there was going to be a reboot until they cast nick cage and they kind of introduced the term instead of reboot they called it a requel so it's kind of a reboot but it's Nick Cage, so it's kind of a sequel. But it, it, in, in very many ways, it was a reboot. So, yeah, I think I think you can. I just don't think it's a good idea, Rob. I just don't think it's a good idea. If you're doing a new iteration of a character, then do a new iteration of the character. Get a fresh face. Let a new actor put their take on it. There are minor exceptions. And I've said for 10 years, one of my – well, for five years, one of my expe- exceptions would be – uh, JK coming back to play Jay Jonah. That's like the way that and James Earl Jones doing Mufasa and both came to pass, which was actually kind of funny, but generally speaking, I don't think it's a good idea. If you're going to give a new character and a reboot and you want a fresh sheet, you don't want any of the old baggage to come along with it. Just start fresh. I don't know, Rob, what's your take on that? I think it's probably pretty, pretty similar. You know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you there. I mean, I don't have much more to add to that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. All right, It is what up. it is. I, what, what can you do? Yeah. Uh, Aaron Schroeder writes, 
With the damage that's been done to the film exhibition industry, what are the chances no film ever unseats Avengers Endgame? And what are the chances <laughs> no film will ever cross $2 billion again? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, Rob, I, I mean, again, six months ago, I would have had a very, very different answer. I would have said something very differently. Yeah. It'll never happen. It'll it'll never happen. It's it's oh, done. These, these box office numbers are. It, it, I think they're over. I mean, the think only about thing, the only thing I would say, Rob, is there is still a chance because it only has like some ridiculously small number that it needs to think. The only thing that has a chance is a some kind of dumb short window theatrical re release of Avatar uh, to promote the upcoming Avatar two. And Avatar, I think all it has to do is like $15 million. It's some ridiculously small number. And then it surpasses Endgame, maybe. But other than that, I just can't see it happening. I mean, can you imagine how James Cameron feels about all this news? Oh, my God. It's got to gut him. And, and, said, and I, I should have put the sequels out five years ago. Not only that, I mean, think about also, what does this mean for this the studio's what Warner Brothers is doing is conditioning not just people that are going to watch HBO Max. They're conditioning the entire world in terms of their movie-going expectations. What if you're another studio that doesn't want to do this? You know, and you're looking at, oh, my God, we might not want to, we might not want to do this, but who's going to go out to the movies anymore? You know, what, what, what this is doing is it's conditioning all audience members to think twice about going to see every movie. Not just Warner Brothers movies. How are you going to get somebody? What's Universal going to do? You know, I mean, what what are they going to do with the new James Bond movie? Yep, it's true. All right. Uh, next up, we go to, hey, John, I love the show, writes, I've always wondered, why uh, do you do your show so early in the day? That means today's movie news usually gets discussed the following day instead of, say, 5 p.m. show uh, covering that day's news cycle. Thanks, and I loved your doc. 80 minutes was a perfect runtime. Well, thank you so much for that. Hey, listen, no, I, we've played around over the years going all the way back to my movie blog pod podcast to for your consideration to AMC movie talk to collider movie. We've played around with different times. Um, the reality is most of the time, um, a lot of the news is out by 10 AM Pacific standard time, which is 1 PM New York time by then. Like for instance, the Oscar Isaac news today about metal gear solid that dropped before we started the show. Now, some news will still come out later, but regardless of when you do your show. So like today, because we do our show at 10 o'clock, movie news like, uh, first of all, we're able to get our Mandalorian thing out there instead of waiting another eight hours for 5 p.m. to talk about it. We were able to get the, um, the, the morning's news, like today, the Oscar Isaac news. We're able to do that within an hour of the news dropping instead of waiting seven or eight more hours. The reality is... Whenever you do a show like this, you're in a, you're in a point in the cycle, which means you're going to be waiting longer to talk about certain stories and you're going to be waiting shorter to talk about certain stories. So I just found that 10 is a nice sweet spot. I have toyed with the idea of moving it one more hour to say 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I have toyed with that idea. I might do that at some time in the future. But I find for the most part, a lot of the big news will break by 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
and sometimes it won't. And so there's benefits wherever you go. Rob, have you played around with these ideas at all? Well, you know, I do my show usually at 2.30, 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon. And when this news broke, was on, it was, this news broke, I mean, the movie theater news broke yesterday while you were on your show, while you were live. I, I don't know, if, was Aaron on your show yesterday? No, actually, I had to go do some banking to buy my house. So I, I didn't have a oh. show yesterday, last oh, second. Oh, so you didn't have a show yet. So, well, it, it, it broke while you in, would have been in the middle of your show. Right. And so I was able to do my show about this yesterday. But, you know, I found that sometimes we get movie news early and sometimes it comes later. You know, it really it, it is on the West Coast. Entertainment news can drop all the way up till 6 p.m., if not later, because we have. So you just don't know. You don't know when the big news is going to happen. So even if you move the show later, there's still no guarantee you're going to get every story of the day. All right. All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Tachyon of the source rights. Uh, you mentioned before that Moff Gideon shouldn't be working for Grand Admiral Thrawn since Moffs are higher in rank than admirals. But in Star Wars Rebels, Moff Price answered and worked under Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think there are a couple things. Number one, canon is all messed up in Star Wars. So let's just throw that out of the way right now. Secondly, um, take Star Trek Discovery right now. And this Please. is true. This has happened as well in in like real military thing, right? Uh, the the Cap Saru, who's the captain of Discovery, he appointed and and somebody who's an ensign in rank to to serve as first officer. Role is not always necessarily directly connected to rank, and and this is true. Role is not always directly connected to rank, and so. In a situation like that, I, I believe like even in other Star Wars novels, they've mentioned in a military cert situation, certain military ranks will override civilian ranks and, and things like that. Plus, they were all operating under the orders of the emperor. And if the emperor says, hey, Billy Bob is in charge of this operation, then even if you outrank Billy Bob, you got to answer to Billy Bob because they've been put in charge of that situation. That combined with the fact that canon is always is really, really fragile and kind of toyed around with and it's sometimes taken seriously and some so i wouldn't worry about that too much rob do you got any response to that i that's just the way i see it yeah i i i uh, it doesn't really bother me who's working for whom because if the empire has been fractured it's not like the chain of command is in its normal self that's you true know, that's we're, also we're, very true yes you know you know, we're in the outer rims. We're trying to our, – our, our, our commander in chief's gone. So what are we going to do? We have to figure out – and I think a lot of what they're doing is they're setting – they're planting the seeds for the rise of the First Order. However, that happens, you know, years, decades later. But I think that that it's whoever – whoever's hearing the clarion call of putting the empire back together, we're going we're gonna to work with one another however we have to. So. Right. Okay. Uh, next up, the nerd Aaron writes, congratulations to old man Steve Rogers on becoming president-elect of the United States. Even Chris Evans put up a post. I don't know if you saw Chris Evans post about that. <laughs> he, Chris Evans put up a post of his old man Steve Rogers from Endgame besides Joe Biden. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, all right. Next up, Nerds of Porn writes, John, Rob, or Aaron, if theaters return and life is normal and Warner Brothers decides to release Snyder Cut in theaters, would you consider going to see it? Well, let's just be, that's not going to happen, but if we're talking <laughs> in theoreticals, but that, that certainly won't happen, but in theoretical, probably not. I, I, I probably like to me, the theatrical release is always the definitive release. Although I am very, I'm interested in watching this for sure, but I, 
I couldn't see myself going to the theater to watch it if it's already on HBO Max and I've already seen it. So unless I watched it on HBO Max and was like, oh, my God, this is the new greatest comic book property ever. I got to see this on the big screen. Then maybe, maybe. But I, I think that's highly unlikely. What about you, Rob? It depends how good I thought it was. I mean, the fact is, if it's on, if I've seen a movie once or if I really liked it, I'd probably watch it again in in the next day or two. And would I want to go see it on the big screen? Look, I'm of the opinion all movies. I don't care if you're watching The Holiday or Love Actually or Die Hard or Endgame. I think all movies are better on the big screen. I think your attention span, you're, you're more into it from a mental standpoint, intellectual standpoint, whatever. But let's face it, if you're just following the story and, and those things don't matter to you as much, I'd be hard-pressed if I had a movie available to me that I would watch over and over again to go to a theater. you know. But then again, if I saw something that I really liked, knowing me, and I watched I, – I, I would go the next day maybe. You know? All right. Next up, we got Bucky Rocks writes, John, Yoda would have been the more practical choice in The Rise of Skywalker for Luke, but I think putting in Anakin would have been a quote-unquote cooler choice. Uh, It would tell us, the fans, that Anakin and Luke... Uh, have been in contact occasionally, like in Legends, R.I.P. F.U. Disney for that. By the way, can I just throw this out there, Bucky Rocks? This is a discussion that came up a lot, but just be very, very clear about this. Disney did not relegate the Legends material to non-canon. Legends material was always non-canon. Like under when George Lucas still ran it, there was something that they had. There was a rating system. Uh, different levels of canon, right? The only true canon was what they referred to in Lucasfilm as G canon. That was the only true top shelf canon. And G stood for George. Um, everything else had certain letters associated with it with different levels of canon. So th- I remember when Disney said, yeah, all that stuff is now legends, blah, blah, blah. But that new designation of Legends didn't really change anything. The Legends stuff never really was canon in the first place. So there's that. Here's the thing. This is a this is a response to a question somebody sent in the other day about, um, you know, I think Ryan Johnson mentioned that he had toyed with the idea in Rise of Skywalker, Rob, of having Anakin show up to talk to Luke instead of Yoda. But... Yoda made much more practical sense. Yoda had been his actual teacher. Yoda had a had spent far more time with Luke than Vader did. It just was a much more practical answer. You can say that Luke or Anakin showing up would have been the cooler thing to do, but that's exactly why they shouldn't do it. Look, right. we, we've talked, Rob, you and I talk a lot about how Fan service is not a bad thing in and of itself. Fan service done the right way and novelty and shtick, all that, that's neither good nor bad. If you use it the right way, it can be excellent, like last night's episode of Mandalorian or the, you know, the portal scene in Avengers Endgame. A lot of that is just pure fan service. But when you do fan service in a context that kind of makes sense. Like Captain America never would have said Avengers. What? Why? Why is he saying that? Whatever. He's giving out a battle cry to start the battle. It makes sense. Was it fan service? Yes, but it made sense. It fit in there. 
where fan service and shtick and novelty don't work and become cringy is when you throw in fan service just for the sake of fan service and it doesn't make any sense in the context. That's when it becomes bad. Mm. And I mean, you can still say the rise of Sky that uh, the last uh, uh, the last Jedi. You can still say it was bad anyway. I mean, there's that, but that was to me the right choice. And just because it would have been the cooler thing to have Anakin doesn't mean it would have been the right choice. I don't know, Rob, how, how would you respond to that? No, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that, look, the idea that if, if Anakin showed up to be a force ghost for Luke, 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 who are you? Like, you know, other than retconning and seeing him at the as a force ghost at the end of Return of the Jedi, which he didn't at first, but now he has. I mean, this idea, I, I have no connection. I've never met you as a young man. I don't know. I know you as Darth Vader. So Yoda, like you said, he shows up. That That's the right move. And I think part of, part of how – there's a lot of talk about fan service, John, these days. And the question is – is just pushing a nostalgia button fan service or is fan service really doing a deep dive into the lore and giving you something that is both believable and fun and like the dark saber showing up at the end of the Mandalorian season, you know, when Moff Gideon pulled out the dark saber, everyone's like, Ooh, that's fan service. Cause it harks back to the animated shows and, and the continuity they've built there. And that makes sense. Because you're you're tying Star Wars Mandalorian back to the animated shows and there's a whole lore with what you're seeing that has now just been extended and, and poses a question. So to, how did he get that? What's going to happen next? You know, and that's that's good fan service. But like you said, having Jango Fett mentioned three times by Boba Fett is maybe too much. So fan service is an art and it's it either works or it's annoying. And if it's done the right way. All right, Rob, we've kept you a little bit over time here. Thanks for being here today. Uh, I know you got a split, but in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Robert My Burnett. Follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, and dude. Thanks a lot for there. being here. Yeah, you don't forget you got your you got your film festival going on and all yes. any new ones coming up soon. Yep. Uh, I've got films. Well, there's gonna be films dropping all weekend. I got movies. Uh, I, I got a deluge of them over the last couple of days of the entries for the festival, which has made me happy. The, the festival ended, entries ended on the first, and I got like 40 more movies. So it's amazing. Wow. There's going to be stuff dropping for the next week. That's awesome. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to you next time, my friend. Have a good one. All right. All right, guys, that is the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Let's keep on going now. We still got some time to take some more of your questions, so let's keep right on rolling. Next up, Dwayne Johnson writes, Hello, John and family. With Wonder Woman 84 going to HBO Max on a limited run, if Black Widow does come to Disney Plus as an exclusive content, do you think that HBO is making a mistake not extending Wonder Woman 84 longer on HBO? I think the window for Wonder Woman 84 uh, HBO is too short. Again, it's that whole – it's a marketing thing, right? It's a whole marketing ploy of limited time only while supplies last. And so it is a marketing ploy to get people to sign up because it's a limited time only. It's actually a really good move. And the fact that then now they're going to have 17 other films in 2021 do that same thing over and over and over and over again. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty smart. And then at some point it's going to come back to HBO. At some point it will come back to HBO Max. 
But uh, I, I actually think it's a pretty smart move on their point, on their part. We'll see. We'll see what happens by the end of the year. How effective was it by the end of the year, by, by the end of 2021? But I have a feeling it's going to be really effective. I really do. I think it's going to be a very, very effective strategy on their point, Dwayne. Excellent question, man. All right. Next up, Angela Dashner writes and tips in $25. Thank you, Angela, for supporting the channel on that level. All right. Thanks, John. I loved your movie. Thank you so much, Angela. I appreciate that. Thank you for checking out my movie and thank you for the kind words. So I bought tickets at AMC to see Wonder Woman. And here where I live, I can buy the whole theater for $199 uh, plus tax for $213. My immediate family can go and see it there. Uh, there is five of us. Worth it to see on the big screen. Um, part two, well worth it since tickets are $14.99 here for everyone except me who has turned my A-list back on. Uh, how much box office does Wonder Woman get when people buy the theater? Uh, lots of people doing that here in Iowa for safety. I believe it is, it's in their exhibition contract, what percentage goes to the studio. So I have a feeling it's going to be the same percentage. So it's going to be roughly, you know, two thirds of whatever that is probably goes now for a first run movie like Wonder Woman 84 for a first run movie. It's probably two thirds will go back to the studio uh, when it's a second run or catalog movie like, say, Back to the Future. It's I'm sure it's a much, 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 much smaller percentage, um, radically smaller percentage. But for a first run movie, my guess would probably be that it'll still be roughly the same proportion. That's my guess. Let me just say, though, the idea of renting out an entire theater, which I don't think is an option here in California, unfortunately, if I could rent out an entire theater for 200 bucks and have like 10 friends go, me and and like eight other friends, and have the whole theater to ourselves and blah, 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 to go watch, I would do that, Sure. Yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea. So I'm a little bit envious, Angela, that you get to do that. First of all, great idea to do that, to have the whole theater yourself. That's a magnificent idea. And I'm completely jealous and I wish I could do the same thing. But I hope you and yours have a magnificent time. And again, Angela, thank you so much for checking out my movie and giving me uh, the excuse to plug it. And uh, and thank you for your kind words. And thanks for supporting the channel, Angela. I appreciate that. I hope you guys have a great time. All right, next up, uh, Dwayne Jackson writes, Hey, John and family, with a possible vaccine on the way, I was wondering, with all the chaos going on with the pandemic, how can we convince our fellow men or women to take the vaccine when it becomes available? Honestly, I think it's going to be hard. I don't think it's going to be as hard as you think. And by the way, vaccines like this, you don't even have to get everybody to take it. It's it's uh, what, what do they call it again? Um Proportional collapse, I think is what the phrase is called, proportional collapse. Let's say only 20% of the population takes the vaccine, and it'll be more eventually. But if 20% of people take the vaccine, it has like an exponential effect because now not only do those 20% of people not get the disease, but now it's, an, that's, it's a 20% reduction in the number of transmitters. So it has this cascading exponential effect. So if like 20% of the people in the country took it, the, the effect or not the effect, the infection rate will drop by a hell of a lot more than 20%, right? So that's not saying people shouldn't take the vaccine. I'm just saying uh, you're never going to get everybody to take it. Most people have common sense. 
like most people know, if it's there, there are government agencies in place to, you know, verify the veracity of the effectiveness and the safety of these drugs and blah, blah, blah. And once they go to market, they are okay. Um, there is certainly a percentage of anti-vaxxers that live in our culture, whatever, but not everybody's going to take it, but I think most people have common sense and I think most people will. That's just my take on that. Maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe I'm, I've often overestimated people. Maybe I'm doing it again, but, but I have faith. I have faith, Dwayne. All right, next up, Dwayne also writes, Hey, John and family, I bought a Google Google Chromecast the other day. Love it. Uh, and I love it. I moved my Roku to my other room. The Chromecast is awesome, John. Uh, you are Mr. Chromecast now, and I bought a Sega Genesis for 60 bucks and, and bought it with 60 games. I feel like I'm 18 again. By the way, if you guys don't know, I bought, and I gave one away recently on the show as well. I bought one of those brand new Google Chromecasts. Like there's the older ones, but there's the brand new ones with uh, Google TV built right into it. And it is fabulous. It was like 50 bucks. It does 4K for streaming service that support it. Has all the networks I need. Excellent voice Google Assistant built right into it. It really is fabulous. So fabulous. I've been a Roku guy for like seven or eight years. And I took my Roku off of my main living room TV. I still have Roku in my bedroom. And I still love my Roku, but I made that new Google Chromecast with Google TV built into it. I made that my new main entertainment room streaming platform, and it is awesome. It's really, really awesome. All right, next up, uh, John loves Hondo. <laughs> I don't like the Hondo character that much. John loves Hondo writes, hey, John and crew. We have gotten news about Predator and uh, Deadpool recently, but my question is, do you think news about Ghost Rider or Punisher could come next? I would love to see those characters on the big screen. Um, here's the thing. I don't, I don't think we're going to hear anything about Ghost Rider for a while. There's already, Kevin Feige already has so many characters of already existing franchises and new characters. And on top of all that, he's gotten all these X-Men characters now coming in. You know, X-Men and Fantastic Four are going to be a priority. Um, on top of all the other Marvel characters he already has. Ghost Rider has been done a couple of times with varying degrees of lack of success. The Ghost Rider in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was actually not bad. But the movies didn't work out, all that kind of stuff. There's a negative connotation to them, all that kind of stuff. So do I believe eventually Kevin Feige will get around to them? Sure, but I don't think anytime soon. Could be wrong about that. They could announce Ghost Rider tomorrow for all I know. But they've got so many other characters to get to. Punisher is one I could see them doing sooner rather than later. There's something viscerally appealing about that character, right? You got Frank. Frank is a just a naturally appealing kind of character. So I would guess, my guess is sometime in the next two years, we'll hear some sort of announcement about Punisher. Maybe not in his own thing, maybe in somebody else's thing, but I, I believe we'll get Punisher before we'll get the next Ghost Rider. That's just my guess. All right, Sarah G writes, John, have you seen Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun on Netflix? It's the best show nobody is talking about if you like random humor. You're like the third person to ask me about this, Sarah. Nope, I haven't seen it. I never even heard about it until somebody else brought it up on the show the other day because Netflix sucks at promoting their own material. The one thing that makes me very excited to check it out, though, is that Weird Al Yankovic was in one of them. And you know me, I'm a giant Weird Al fan. I don't know why I'm such a huge Weird Al fan, but I am. I am a massive Weird Al fan. Uh, and so as soon as I heard that, I wanted to get on board with it. So I haven't seen it yet. 
but I will at some point. Thanks for adding your name to the recommendation list, Sarah. I appreciate that. Next up, Jack Drees writes, just got my tickets for Wonder Woman 84, going to an AMC with IMAX laser. Having been twice this year, audio-wise, this specific IMAX auditorium has some of the clearest sound I have ever heard in a theater. Can't wait for the IMAX shot sequence on the big screen. The way you feel about IMAX is the way I feel about the AMC Prime Dolby theaters. The AMC Prime Dolby theaters is simply the best audio experience I've ever had. A good IMAX theater like that can too, by the way. But the the picture, seeing with the crowd, oh, I miss that, man. You'll never know how much I miss it. So much, so much. So, and I don't even have the option right now around me anywhere. California is really locking down. We're getting close to only having 15% of hospital beds available. Think about that. We're in California. There's a lot of places in California that are about to dip below 15% bed availability in hospitals. That is cataclysmic. And so we got, we're going through a bunch of new lockdowns and stuff like that. And hey, man, we just got to get through it. If people would just act smart, we'd be in a lot better of a place. So I'm a little bit envious, Jack. All right next up, My Comic Planet writes, part one. Hey, John, Reed Pop, the leading producer of pop culture events in the world, including New York City Comic Con, has just permanently shut down. I heard about this. Uh, it's book con events, citing the continued uncertainty surrounding the in-person events at this time due to COVID-19. Um, this is big news. I know the book con events were small compared to the bigger cons, but this could be just the beginning of the end of Comic Cons as we know them today. I don't think so. I don't think so. And here's why. I can understand why big companies like uh, Comic-Con and like Read Pop are really getting the crap kicked out of them right now financially as a result of not being able to have any live events. When you're a live events company and you can't put online events, you risk going out of business. But unlike movie theaters where there's just not going to be a call or a need for movie theaters anymore. There are still going to be fans and there are still going to be fan conventions. And if read pop isn't there to do them, other people will put them on people. Fans are still going to want to get together to celebrate their fandom together. So I believe cons are going to continue to explode in popularity. Uh, I believe they're still going to be there and uh, whether read pop is there or not. And it is unfortunate to hear, but I've, I've had to do some work with read pop in the past and I thought they were a good company. But uh, it is sad to hear, but I do think cons will definitely still be a thing and will still be around my comic planet. Thanks for writing that in. All right. Alan Horns Horn writes, apart from the CGI humans and dogs, I have the impression that today's VFX are pretty much flawless. Are there any other elements in VFX you think still need perfecting? Um, you're right. We, we are getting to a point where other than the uncanny valley of fully CGI humans and, and some animals, CGI is almost pretty much perfect. It is approaching that level of complete and utter perfection. That is just mind boggling. Like you can put up a CGI scene still image next to a photograph still image. And most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two of them. Uh, the one thing I still notice has some issues is particle effects, which is funny because particle effects are kind of the, the, the area of visual effects that made the most advancements early. When I talk about particle effects, I'm talking about rain, mist, uh, dust, fire, it, kind of stuff like that, right? We have particle behavior and 
particle effects was actually one of the areas of visual effects that made the advancements the fastest. But I find today when you have visual effects with heavy particle scenes, whether it's splashing water, uh, uh, characters moving through smoke, smoke looks amazing. Characters moving through smoke or moving through mist or whatever, there's it still makes it kind of clear, oh, this has been animated or whatever. That's one area outside of actual human beings that I can still pick it out pretty fairly easily. Um, but that's even getting better and better and better, better and better and better hair and fur used to be a big issue, but their advancements with hair and fur effects have been insanely good lately. So to me, it's still basically particle effects, but that's just my take on that. All right. Next up, where are we at? That was Alan Horn's horn. Uh, oh, my comic plan had a part three. Uh, do you see this move as a potential domino effect with how San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con and others will respond? God, if we lose both the theaters and Comic-Cons, I might have to be admitted. Again, I think Comic-Cons are, are going to move, go on and they will be as big. I think they're going to continue to grow in popularity in an increasingly disconnected world. I think having events where fans can connect is going to, are going to increase in popularity and, uh, yeah, I, I think we're good as far as the cons go. All right. The Empire Slipes, Slaps Back writes, just got the new Google Chromecast with TV with six months of Netflix. That is, is that a steal uh, or is that a steal? Guess I'll check out that Queen's Gambit. Everyone's been losing their marbles about. And yeah, it's like the number one streaming show in the world right now, my friend. And again, I, I can't. I can't talk highly enough about this Google Chromecast with Google TV built in. It has been a fabulous home entertainment experience for me. Um. It's got all the apps. I can't think of one that it doesn't have that I need. Um, the the uh, quality is impeccable. The responsiveness is even better than my Roku was. And my Roku was pretty responsive. But I'm telling you, it's the built-in Google Assistant that really takes it to the next level. The Google Assistant on it is fantastic. I, I just love it. And it's been a really, really great experience. I hope you enjoy yours, Empire Slikes Back. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, Rich Mid uh, writes and, and sends in twenty dollars to support us. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate that, man. Uh, I want to start this by saying any actor should be able to play any role. It's their job. But with the news that Elliot Page will continue to play Vanya, uh, is this not hypocritical? As ScarJo had to back out of playing a trans role, how is this different? Well, no. Listen, it's only hypocritical if. Um, if the studio or if Elliot Page, formerly known, the artist formerly known, for those who haven't heard the news, the artist formerly known as Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. If Elliot Page themselves had been screaming that Scar Joe should not play a transgender character, Scar Joe should not be playing a Scar, if Elliot Page themselves had been screaming that, and now Elliot is going to be playing a cisgendered female character Vanya moving forward maybe there would be some hypocrisy about that but if it's different people saying it then it's not hypocrisy like just because one Canadian says um, uh, you should play hockey eh and then I as a Canadian say eh, I don't think you have to play hockey you don't say that's being hypocritical no it's two different people saying it it's two different people saying it so why is that hypocritical so no I don't think it's hypocritical I don't think it's hypocritical again, but this comes from my basic belief that actors play people. They are not actors play people that they are not. 
Do you think the actor, whichever actor and all the actors that have played Adolf Hitler are actually Nazis in real life? Do you think that? Obviously not. They play a character that they are not. So I'm cool with that. But my challenge to all these people who are screaming about that Elliot Page should no longer play Vanya is, no, 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 no. You were saying it was dumb when ScarJo was forced to leave the role of a transgender character. Don't be hypocritical now and start saying that Elliot Page should no longer play Vanya. That's hypocritical. If we say that it's perfectly fine for ScarJo to play a character that she is not, then it's hypocritical to say that Elliot Page should not be allowed to play a character that is a type of character that they themselves no longer identify as. That's hypocritical. Elliot Page uh, is great as Vanya. I've always loved their performances, Vanya. And I think there's nothing that has happened that will preclude them from doing and continuing to do a great job playing Vanya. So that's just my kind of take on that, Rich. I, it, it, I mean, obviously, it's a topic that becomes an obvious point of discussion, right? I get it. But that's sort of my take on it. I, I hope that addresses my position on that, Rich. Anyway, thanks. Totally fair for you to ask about, though, man. Totally valid question to ask. All right, next up. Uh, Joe Din writes, in Back to the Future, Doc remotely controls the DeLorean and gets it up to about 65 miles per hour before putting it into drive, leading the famous trailing flame scene. Uh, couldn't he just go all the way to 88 and keep the car in one place? Uh, isn't this safer for time travel? How do you get the car up to 88 and keep it in one place? Like, if I'm not sure I'm following. I'm not sure I'm following the question, Joe. If the car is going 88 miles per hour, it cannot be in, in one place. Clearly, you're asking probably a very well thought out question. And my brain is just jarbled right now. And it's probably just going over my head. For those of you who get what Joe is asking, jump into the comments and give Joe your thought about what, what his thing on that. Thanks for writing that in, Joe. Next up, GQ writes, do you know uh, Greendizer? Grendizer. He was my childhood hero. Oh, I remember. Listen, I remember an anime show called Grandizer. Grandizer, go. I used to love all these um, like giant robot anime kind of cartoons. I used to love all the grand. If we're talking about the same one, Grandizer, the big, the robot, with the big giant yellow horns. I used to like that. If that's what we're talking about. Uh, he was my childhood hero since they made Pacific Rim. Maybe they can make Grandizer a movie. What do you think? Well, I don't know. There was a lot. One of my favorites at the time, and I can't even remember. I I'm going to go to you guys in the live chat to see if any of you remember the name of this one anime cartoon. It was one at the same time that Grandizer and a few others were out where it was three uh, individual warriors with their own individual little ships, and they were all helping a certain princess out. And they could combine their ships and depending on the order that they would combine, the amalgamated vehicle would be different things. Like if the Poseidon uh, character was at the head of it, then the thing would have one personality. If the other one was at the head of it, do any of you guys remember the name of that one? I, I, I'm having a hard time remembering it. Starfleet X-Bomber? I don't think that was it. I don't think that was it. Flintstones? No, that wasn't Flintstones. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm not describing it right, but I remember that one was pretty fun to me. I don't see Grandizer happening because, uh, number one, um, it would be very, very expensive, and it does not have the same kind of 
Uh, and it wasn't, no, it wasn't G-Force with the Phoenix. It wasn't G-Force. I used to love Battle of the Planets, so. Uh, I can still name them all. Mark, Jason, Tiny, Keop, Princess. Boom. I can still name all of the, uh, all of the uh, Battle of the Planets guys. Oh, 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 Tyrone. Tyrone got it. Star Avengers. I think you're right. I think it was Star Avengers. That sounds familiar to me. I think you're right. Okay, I don't know why I got all excited about that. Now I got to go back and try to find that stuff. But anyway, there's really, nobody knows what Grandizer is today. It would be very expensive to make. And so I don't think we're going to see that in a live action big screen environment, unfortunately to say. Uh, Mr. TJ Lynn writes, what are your, some, some of your favorite Enrico Suave non-Star Wars, non-Indiana Jones movies? You have to see the video I made about the whole Elliot Page, artist formerly known as Ellen Page's video that I put up the other day uh, to understand that. Um, it, talking about Harrison Ford, my favorite, some of my favorite Harrison Ford movies that are not Indiana Jones or Star Wars. Um, you have to talk about, let me just bring it up here. Uh, Witness is one of them. I mean, that that is great. Um, Air Force One is not up there. I know a lot of people love Air Force One, and I do too. I think Air, uh, Air Force One is great, and that's fantastic. I got to say, I think probably my favorite one is Sabrina, which is a remake, right? Um, Greg Kinnear is in that one with him. Which I, you know, I, I love Greg Kinnear and he plays his younger brother. He plays Harrison Ford's younger brother uh, in that. I love that one. Um, I, a lot of people love What Lies Beneath. I'm not too huge on that. I like K-19, The Widowmaker. Uh, but what is the one um, with... Uh, it's based on the old TV show. What is the name of it again? The Fugitive. The Fugitive. Yeah, so it probably has to be, for me, it probably has to be Sabrina and The Fugitive. Those are the ones to me. Then you get like regarding Henry was great. Working Girl was great. Witness uh, is great. Blade Runner. I'm not a big Blade Runner fan and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, uh, The Fugitive and Sabrina are my two favorite Harrison Ford, non-Star Wars, non-Indiana Jones ones. Oh my gosh, we are over time. Uh, let's just do one more here. Mr. TJ Lynn also writes, Kevin Bacon, in my opinion, is underappreciated. I agree. I think Kevin Bacon's great. Some of my favorite Bacon performances in movies are Stir of Echoes, uh, uh, River Wild with Meryl Streep, Mystic River, and Hollow Man. What are yours? Mystic River has to rank right up there. Uh, with Sean Penn, directed by Clint Eastwood. Let me just bring that one up for a second here. Um, it, it also won, uh, I know it was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, let me go to, where's awards? I can't find you. I know it was nominated for a bunch of awards. Where are the awards? There it is, awards. So it was uh, it won Best Actor in a Leading Role for Sean Penn. Oh, and I forgot Tim Robbins won Best Supporting Actor as well. It was nominated for Best Pe Best Picture. Um, Marisa Gay Harden was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Clint Eastwood was nominated for Best Director. And the screenplay was nominated for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay as well. I do love that one. He's great in that. By the way, I also loved his TV show. He did a, a short-run TV show here. I'm just trying to remember the name of it. I always I talk about this show every once in a while, and I always forget the name of it. Uh, what's it called? Not Tremors, Story of a Girl, uh, Not I Love Dick, Page of State, no. The Following. The Following. 
I really like the following, at least its first couple of seasons, particularly the first season. The following was really, I really got into the following. I like that one. It, it got a little bit weaker as it, and, it neared its finale. But I would have been down for that show to keep going. I would have been down for that one to keep going. That what that one was pretty good. All right, guys, listen. There are still a bunch of questions that we've run out of time to get to from uh, the nerd errant Paul Cree, uh, a lot from Paul Cree, as a matter of fact, uh, Preston the Kryptonian, and many others. So here's what I'm going to do uh, tomorrow. Here on the John Campia show, we are going to do a companion video to make sure we get through all the remaining questions that we still have outstanding. OK, so if you have sent in a question or you want to send in a question between now and tomorrow, uh, we will do a companion video tomorrow to get through all the remaining questions. You guys sent in the questions in support of the channel. We're going to get to every single one of them that you guys sent in. So keep your eyes open for that tomorrow. All right, guys. That'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Don't forget, guys, if you haven't done so already, click on that subscribe button. Once again, too, want to remind you that if you uh, have not checked it out yet, go and check out my movie, my new documentary about movie trailers called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. Once again, in the U.S. and the U.K., it's available on Amazon. But it is also available worldwide, wherever you are at Vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. And thank you to all of you guys who have checked it out so far. Special thank you to all you guys who did send in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, because you supported this show as you did it. And all of us here, thank you guys very, very much for that. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of the people around you. Be smart. Be safe. Do all the right things. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.